Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Pig X Podcast. I'm your host, Delaney Howell, joined today by Dr. Paul Yeski, swine veterinarian with the Swine Vet Center, and Giovanni Trevisan, a research assistant professor at Iowa State University. Now, both of these two gentlemen have an extremely diverse background, which we'll get into here in just a bit. But today's episode is focused all around grow-finish biocontainment, a relatively new term to the industry. So put those thinking caps on and be ready for all the great information that's about to come your way in today's PigX podcast. Well, Paul and Giovanni were talking today about grow-finish biocontainment, so I think maybe a good place to start would be to talk about what biocontainment is. Paul, maybe we can kick it over to you first, since it is a relatively new term in the industry. Sure. Biocontainment is has kind of always been around, but it's kind of the uh, forgotten part of biosecurity. Whenever most people are talking about biosecurity, generally they're talking about uh, the bioexclusion and still very important piece of biosecurity is keeping the bug out. That's what bioexclusion is. Biocontainment is kind of the reverse side of that or the opposite. It's how do we keep the virus on the farm? So if we do have an outbreak uh, of disease, how do we keep from spreading that to other sites, other farms, other pigs? And so as equally important as keeping it out is not spreading it or taking the virus uh, to other opportunities to spread within your system or other production systems. So again, it's somewhat forgotten about as we talk about it. It's always been a part of biosecurity, but uh, trying to get a little bit more uh, light on that subject as well to try and reduce some of that area risk. So as you look at biocontainment, obviously we're in a peak season now, which is really nice that this episode is coming out because I think it hits nicely with the timeline that some swine producers might be facing. Giovanni, tell us about some of the SDRS information that you've reviewed lately. Yeah, that's a, a correct. We are in the time of the year where the things start to get messy in terms of detection of agents and where that start to go up. So as you mentioned, the Swine Disease Reporting System, for the ones that are not familiar, is a project that collects data from different swine-centric videos and report those trends of detection over time. So Right now, what we have seen for September was that there was a starting to increase detection of major agents like PERS, Mycoplasma hyomone, PD, influenza, that starts to cool in the winter finishing in the farm types that are in the winter market. So this plays a major role in the dynamics of the agent detection by having a high detection of these agents in the winter market age category, and that has been also recognized by the swine industry that we need to address more the uh, biosecurity and biocontainment in this phase. And as an example of that, the Swine Health Information Center, associated with National Port Board and FFR, are going to put together a call for proposal to uh, the search on biosecurity and biocontainment in the winter finishing phase to try to move the needle in terms of improve the health status of the, your swine population. And one thing that we have been seeing also is, well, if you look for the wind to mark, there is dynamics that goes over time. And more specifically, uh, for disease diagnosis, there is a, a change in status over time. And has been here for a long time. 
And if you look specifically for the lineage on C variant, we have seen that when it hits the winter mark, that may uh, as a high detection, low CT values that occur, and that plays a major dynamic on the regional spread in dynamics there. So we start to see some of those activities coming back again now. And it's a, a very uh, important point of the year since we start to see other changes in terms that occur in the field in terms of uh, harvest season and, and manure pump that start to occur. Yeah, I think Giovanni, that's a, a great point. And as we go back and look at the history from the SDRS report, the last four years, every time the wean to market pigs, the positivity rate started to go back up. Uh, the sow positivity rate would follow about a month later. And so it's fitting into somewhat the idea that we start the regional spread and then all of a sudden it's there's more activity within a region. And then we start to see more of that coming through to the sow herds as well. So uh, again, I think it's uh, been fairly predictable here over the last four years. And the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project would also collaborate that data with their breaking the epidemic curve or threshold, uh, generally somewhere between that mid-October to mid-November type timeframe. And so uh, certainly uh, tells us we're in the high-risk time of the year. And uh, oftentimes, as you as you mentioned, with the pit pumping, we'll oftentimes see more uh, influenza spread as well. That can also make things a little bit more complicated in just adding more, more variables out there. And that's a great point, Paul, when you are talking about the preceding effect that occurs in the intermarket age uh, category. As we look into the data and try to understand more, that doesn't only occur for PERS virus, but also occurs for influenza virus and for PED. So there is a, a major dynamics in effects that goes on for these other two agents. So as you both mentioned, it's not only a high time for PERS and other diseases, but also a very busy time with harvest and pumping, among other things. How can farmers remain vigilant in this time of year to ensure biocontainment is practiced on their operation if they experience any sort of an outbreak? Yeah, I think it's one of those good things to make sure that uh, producers continue to monitor. Again, like you said, it's a busy time. You've got all those distractions pulling you away from the pigs. You know, if we see something clinically or if you want to do some routine diagnostics, the uh, the quicker we get the diagnosis, the better job we can do of containing the, the agent. If it's PERS, for example, uh, the sooner we know the site is positive, then we can change up the order of how chores are done, how people visit the farm, those sort of things to make sure that we're not uh, getting direct contact to other sites. And so uh, that's why it's really critical producers, if they see a change in uh, water consumption, piglet activity, other clinical signs, need to be doing those diagnostics so they can know sooner rather than later, along with all the other tasks they have to do. We know that there's a lot of things that have to be done and some corners get cut. And so we want to make sure we're not cutting corners uh, when we shouldn't be. I completely agree with that, Paul. And when you think about that, is that is a, is a busy time of the year and sometimes we forgot the basic chores in the farm. So keep reminding of the, the works about as example, clean and dirt lines of separation. And specifically at the placement time, look for those piglets that they have a, a good condition, that barns that's not too much too cold when they get there. And that is a is very important for a good start and keep the health of those piglets as they are placed around. And as an example uh, of the importance of reminding of those chores and keep that occurring, 
Well, you talked about having water lines running through the barn, but we frequently see salt toxicosis in those piglets. In some cases that come here at the Iowa State University VDL, and those is not a, a infectious disease, but it's a management practice that occurs that you do not turn on the water after you wash the barn for some reason you did turn the pipelines off. So that keeps coming and uh, a couple of cases are seen. And that reminds the importance that the caretakers that are doing their chores, we need to verify those basic points and be able to give a good condition for those pigs so they can start fast and be more prepared to deal with the calf challenges that can occur at this time of the year. And sometimes we'll see that in the field uh, as well. After uh, vaccination or water medication, uh, the valves don't get, get quite turned right the way they should be, or someone's helping out with chores because you're busy in harvest and they don't really know how to turn the system on and off. And so that one can happen sometimes uh, as we get into this busier time of the year too, just as we're working the medication or vaccination through a barn. It's a busy time of year, but it's also a seasonal change in weather that we're seeing right now. We're seeing warm days still for the most part, but really cool nights. What attention needs to be focused elsewhere as this weather is changing, Giovanni? One very important point is what we have been discussing priorly is to keep looking for the environmental temperature in the barn. As example, turn the heating on and be sure that when you place those piglets, you have a good condition for them to get into the barn, feel comfortable and go right away to the feed and water and get a good start up in the process there. And I think going back and looking at the controllers, oftentimes for uh, summertime settings, we'll tighten up the bandwidths on the stage one and two controllers. It's good to go back and uh, look at those and adjust those more for the cooler weather. Now, uh, with the cooler nights, we want to be protecting the nights more so than worrying about the warmer temperatures of the afternoon that we do in the middle of summer. And so going back, widening out those bandwidths on stage one, stage two, on curtain barns, taking a look at that open closure time, making sure that they're reacting fast enough so that the barns can can deal with those changes. We know there's wide swings and there's going to be some changes no matter what, but there are some things we can do in basic uh, setup of uh, the ventilation system to make sure it's performing at its uh, optimum. Checking out the inlets, uh, particularly if you have actuated inlets, sometimes over the course of time, they can become out of adjustment, particularly and in going into the cooler weather now, going back through and making sure those are adjusted uniformly through the barn so you got good, consistent, uniform air distribution is important as well as those other things. So there are a few things we can do to just make sure we're setting ourselves up for success as the weather uh, starts to change here. And as the weather is also starting to change and all of these different factors are going on, it's important to know the site status change, but how do you go about testing or measuring for that? Yeah, I think the best is to watch for clinical signs. Uh, water consumption, if you've got a water meter, is sometimes the quickest way we see barns change. But certainly piglet activity, number of treats, number of mortalities, uh, those are the basic things as we're doing the chores on a daily basis to help understand that. And then we can, if we do think there's some issues or th things starting to happen, we can go in and do the oral fluids have been a very good tool to help make the testing fairly straightforward and easy. And so, again, with some of the technology now, too, we can uh, do the oral fluids testing, even if you're vaccinated, because there's differential tests that allow for 
us to say whether it's a field strain or a, or a vaccine strain that's that's in the pot versus just a positive negative. And so, uh, again, if we've got questions, it's uh, grabbing some oral fluids is good. Certainly, if there's mortalities and post-mortem post some pigs uh, can also be very ben beneficial to see if there's anything else going on uh, in the population. Again, the clinical signs first, oral fluids probably as the next step, and then if uh, becoming more severe, then moving forward to the, to the post-mortems. So, Paul, let's dive a little deeper here into this idea of biocontainment. What are some of the main ways that our listeners can avoid spreading disease off-site, and how does that relate to the concept of biocontainment? So, as we talk about biocontainment, what are some of the things that uh, producers can do? And probably the most important thing is to have uh, a bench entry. Uh, again, what this does is separates the outside from the barn. Um, and also, if there is something going on in the barn, hopefully we don't carry it off-site with us as well. So having a bench entry, having separate boots and coveralls uh, or clothes that you're going to wear in the barn, and uh, don't always have to be a shower in. Uh, just a change in can, can certainly do the job if we change in and wash your hands or expose skin can definitely be effective means, particularly if there's multiple sites to visit during the day and can break that chain of potential infection. And then being careful with vehicles if you're going between sites, uh, making sure that we're not carrying it with the vehicle between sites uh, also becomes very important as well as the entry into the site. Handling mortalities, again, these are probably the animals that are the uh, most likely to be positive, most likely to be highest contamination rates. And so uh, making sure that uh, we don't do that and then go directly into a, a, another site's worth of pigs. Ideally, we'd have separate boots and coveralls for that as well so that uh, we don't get cross-contaminated at the rendering box. Uh, if we got on-site composting, still want to be careful that we don't carry the virus off-site uh, when we leave in the vehicle. Making sure that for vehicles that do go between sites or any equipment that goes between sites, uh, if we know we have a positive site, then it needs to be washed, disinfected, and follow the system's protocol uh, to move back up the chain. We know that uh, there's lots of things that go on in the wean to finish area. Uh, the vaccination crews just need to make sure that they know what your health status is and if there's changes in health status, because sometimes they get a, a route that they're gonna do based upon uh, what the known status was when the pigs went into the barn, uh, but that may have changed and they may not know that. And then the loading crews would be the same sort of thing. You know, if there's been clinical signs, they need to know that uh, so that they can change up and get into the proper order, how things should go as far as which sites to go to first. Same thing if, if you're doing multiple sites worth of chores. Generally, we'd like to go youngest to oldest, but if we know there's health challenges in the younger pigs, uh, then we may want to reverse that order and so or change up that order to make sure that we're not going from if the youngest site's one that we believe has turned positive or has turned positive, uh, then that's going to put us at risk to spreading it down uh, to those older rooms as well. So again, all those things are things we can do to try and make sure that we don't carry the virus off the site. And uh, that's really what we're trying to accomplish with the biocontainment. Those are great points, Pauls, and those remind me of things that happened in swine industry in the last few years. As an example, if you look back at in 2021, there was this increased activity of detection of uh, Delta coronavirus. We know it's not a very aggressive virus for the finishing phase, but as the virus started popping up in some areas, 
the ability that find to break biosecurity and then biocontainment practice allows to spread for other regions and create kind of a high detection of this agent across multiple regions. There was a similar scenario that went through in 2022 for PED that we look at back in 2021. Looks like we are getting there and reducing the detection of this agent and doing a good progress, but everything turns up and back to similar levels in 2022. So at a large spread, large region area affected. But also we have some good examples at a regional area approach that was APP outbreak that happens in Iowa, where these agents find opportunities to move across farms by caretakers, by rendering, by all the practices that was there implemented and break through dif different side, sites and spread across this region, causing a regional problem and the high activity of this agent in, in, in that affecting the health of this population at all. So there is a, a everything that you go and talk at there is aligned with how you could prevent the spread of these agents in these different sites. And the one more thing that uh, it's important to, to talk about is, well, how we deal with the truck washing capabilities that we have. We do a very good job washing the top load graded uh, pigs, trucks that goes for packing plant and then return for sites. But most of the, the runouts or the last loads that we got from those sites moving to the packing plants, we do not wash those trucks when they return for the farms. And that creates opportunity to spread agents across farms. And if, is there any failure after that on washing, disinfecting those sites before placing the piglets? We open the opportunity for the agents to spread in that channel. So I know that requires a lot of investment, but if somehow that truck washing capability could be tackled and improved in the future, we may have improvement in the way that we deal with animal health challenges. And I think one more one more comment to that as well, and it's more of a bio-exclusion thing, but something to talk about while we're talking about uh, trucking and, and loadouts and that sort of things would be uh, the stage loadout that, um, Dr. Holkamp has uh, worked on and, and demonstrated that if you do a stage loading, uh, that you can reduce some of your risk of bringing agents back in, even if the trucks can't be washed. And so, again, I think trying to figure out if that's a way you can help set your site up for more success. And then, uh, like I said before, making sure if there's changes in health status or we see clinical signs that we're coordinating that with the loadout crews or with the uh, super system supervisors so that everybody's aware that things are changing on the site, even though uh, you're running the pigs out here over the next week. Uh, it can have impacts to other farms that are that are unexpected. So again, that good level of communication is uh, is always important as we talk about um, uh, both bio exclusion and biocontainment. And uh, again, part of that being a good neighbor policy as well. Uh, letting others know in your area that you've seen some uh, health challenges uh, is always a good thing uh, for them to hear it from you first versus uh, through the grapevine in the community and people find out uh, later on that you were having health challenges and it's better to uh, bring that bring the bad news yourself. And so again, being that good neighbor, helping out so that people can take the extra precautions is also important as we talk about the biocontainment. And when you think about biocontainment, obviously 
we hope that we are being good neighbors and diligent, but what are some practical examples of biocontainment that producers could be mindful of when their site does become infected? I think the biggest issue is handling the mortalities. Like I say, those are the most likely animals to be infected and making sure, particularly if uh, that caretaker is taking care of multiple sites, that they don't go from handling the mortalities and going on directly to another site without having an opportunity to uh, do a boot change, ideally a coverall change, hand wipes or something to clean up their hands before they go on to the next site. Uh, again, just trying to limit some of that uh, cross exposure. I think that's probably the, the biggest area. And then any shared equipment and just thinking about where that shared equipment's going and the order that it's going through. Um, you know, oftentimes a biosecurity matrix or a, a farm visit order is put together early on when the group starts. And we know that the group can change a lot during the finishing phase. And so uh, that just needs to be an ongoing living document as the pig's health changes, we're getting that modified. And again, sometimes I think we don't always do some of the diagnostics we could on the grow finish side, just to make sure we confirm that a site is positive or having clinical signs that, uh, again, helps to drive that idea home that we need to make sure we're not carrying it off site, carrying it off that site and putting other pigs at risk. So gentlemen, I think we're getting to that part in the episode where we like to leave our listeners with a take-home or actionable message. What's something you'd like to leave our listeners with in order to implement and improve their own biocontainment program? I think we still want to be focused on bioexclusion. Bioexclusion is still an important piece not to bring it to the site. Uh, but if we have issues and we do have health concerns and we do have farms that break, and we know that's going to happen over time, particularly uh, as we discussed this time of the year, we know it's more likely to happen. Uh, then we want to make sure that we're putting those practices in place to make sure that we're not carrying that virus onto other sites and making sure that we leave the disease on the site. The things like the bench entry, uh, having separate coveralls and boots, uh, both for barn chores and handling the mortalities and uh, making sure all equipment's cleaned up in between and properly uh, disinfected. And then just good communication back and forth uh, within a production system and within the neighborhood of uh, how how we can uh, make sure that people know uh, that events are happening so that they can plan accordingly. You said a very important point there, Paul, across many that you mentioned, but communication is a very important one that communicate those practices that we design a production system to the caretakers and be sure that they do understand those practices to follow and how to communicate with the supervisors or the other people that are involved in the process are very important for early reaction, detection and reaction changes that are occurring in the system and implement measures that could be contained those spread. And you already talked about those, so I don't need to go back for those, but communication for all of your uh, caretakers and your production channel is very important there. Well, as always, we are so thankful for our guests for joining us in today's discussion and to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check back next month for another great topic related to pig survivability covered right here on the podcast. Until then, I'm Jelani Howell, and this has been the Pig X Podcast.
Pig X is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. Big X. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.